0: So I haven't heard of athletes undergoing that, but I have been asked questions from people about whether they should or not. Really, the number of studies that have purposefully gone out and explored the effects of withdrawal and, and then reintroduction of caffeine is, is quite small. Um, I, I think I can I count them on one hand, to be honest.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin. I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer, and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne, and I'm joined by my colleague who does all those things too, <laughs> Steph Gaskell. What's going on, Steph?
2: What's going on, Alan? Um, whoo, I'm moving house soon. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. That's something exciting. Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, other than that, from a, from a sports nutrition perspective, research uh, perspective, um, we are, you know, doing, doing our central studies and, and research, um, analysing all the, all the data, which is a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, recently did a, a podcast with the lovely Alice McNamara, who we recently had on the show in episode 18B, which was... Looking and and talking about, I guess you know, medical support and um, on these ultra endurance events, um, and then also looking at um, the management of things like exercise associated hyponatremia. But they've they've got a a great podcast that I'd um, recommend, and it's called Doc Doc Goose. Um, so, um, yeah, they kind of tackle questions from that sort of sports science, um, medical angle. Um, and they have, uh, Bill, um, Tate and, um, Rod Siegel and then Alice herself. Um, so yeah, if anyone's looking to listen to some more podcasts, um, maybe give, give them a go.
1: Mm. And so, Doc, Doc, Goose, because rod he has a phd so he's a doctor alice is a medical doctor yes and then bill's neither of those things so doc doc and then bill's the goose
2: yeah bill's the goose but uh he's yeah he's been a coach for for rowing for 20 years and i think had um got 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 the girls to silver medal in um rio um for in rowing so yeah um Mm. good yeah
1: awesome All right, well here on The Long Munch we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. Uh, Very common questions that people might ask their buddies in training or or afterwards or Google or whatever it is. Um, And so we have two episodes, an A and a B episode. In the A episode we get a researcher um, scientist or or practitioner to sort of answer it from that perspective. And then in the B episode, we get an athlete who's, I guess, faced that question in some way or another, or sometimes a coach, and and get them to to answer the the same question from their perspective as well. Um, Now, it's hard to believe, Steph, but it's episode 20A today.
2: 20A. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yep, it's it's moving along. Uh, And our question today is, I think, a really common one that people ask, uh, and a really important one. Uh, and one that you're sitting there, either going to laugh or cry, depending on the answer, Steph. Um, the question is, do I need to stop taking coffee for a few days before a race to get the benefits of caffeine? And you're holding on hope that the answer is no.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, w- I was saying that I'm going to stop talking, Alan, in this sec- um, in this chat if he does tell us the ro- I would say is wrong answer. Um, (laughs) so stay tuned to see if I keep talking all the way through.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right.
2: But before we get into that, um, you know, you, you are a bit tense at at the moment and yes, we're still in lockdown. So that could be partly the reason, but, um, it looks like you've got something on your mind now. So do you want to share it with us?
1: yeah this is one i do think about a lot actually as someone who likes caffeine but doesn't drink coffee um it's probably something i find myself uh thinking about a fair bit actually and it's it's these people and and they i always roll my eyes when i hear this and go oh steph don't get me started (laughs) these people that demonize energy drinks so red bulls v's you know whatever it is mm. different brands obviously in different countries that these are somehow evil things that they're corrupting our youth um they're destroying civilization that the caffeine is, is so high in these things that it's going to make people go crazy and go out there and do crazy things they're going to make bad people with bad behavior uh and then they stop their little rant about energy drinks and then they go down the street and buy a latte And what they don't realise is that latte probably has more caffeine than the bloody energy drink that they've just been demonising. So my rant is a short one today, but it's simply the fact that know your facts, understand your caffeine content before you get on your high horse and pot people for energy drinks that probably have less caffeine than what you're drinking in your own coffee. This is a cultural issue, a social issue that's got nothing to do with caffeine. So just stop it. (laughs) It's enough. It's enough.
2: It feels, like you've, it feels like you've been put, like attacked yourself.
1: I haven't, but I feel for all the people who have. I'm, I'm channeling their anger, their shame and guilt unnecessarily throughout all of this. You know, 250ml energy drinks, certainly in Australia, it might be different in other countries, but in Australia there's obviously strict food standards about how much caffeine can be added to products and in energy drinks that are the, the small 250ml ones... It's a maximum of eighty milligrams of caffeine. Mm. That's less than your average coffee. Mm. Uh, the big cans, you know, one hundred and sixty milligrams of caffeine. Again, a lot of coffees have more caffeine than that.
2: Mm. Yep, yep.
1: So I don't think people realise this.
2: Yeah, yep. And I, th- yeah, exactly. And it, and it's the education. Um, yeah, I think that that's needed for sure.
1: And that's still less than the recommended caffeine dose for athletes for mm. performance benefits yeah. in competition.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm all right feeling better
1: back off back off all those poor uni students who are doing all their study late at night (laughs) who don't like coffee yeah um who head to the servo and buy their v or their red bull or whatever it is um yeah just leave them alone let them be (laughs) they're good kids they do good work
2: exactly they they will contribute to society yeah it's
1: not falling apart because of the energy drinks
2: All right, I see I see you're a little bit less tense now, so this is good.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm probably more tense actually. To be honest. <laughs> but that's all right. Got a got a few hours to calm down. To calm down. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so rant over. Short and sweet today. We have been told that we don't go hard enough in these rants. I think that Steph. was a good one. One of your, one of your Yeah, I like yeah one of your participants in the lab mm. said No, it's too soft. You need to actually, if you're going to rant, rant properly. So hopefully we have.
2: I think we've impressed Meg. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll hear back from her on social media about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a good segue because if you do have any uh, comments or feedback on the podcast or you have a particular question that you'd like answered, feel free to contact us at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, hear what you think about the show, hear how you're listening to the show, or, um, yeah, if you've got any questions, we'll certainly uh, take that on board and um, look at it as a potential topic for the future. So I think it's time to get on to today's episode, Steph. As we said, it's episode 20A, and the question is, do I need to stop drinking coffee to get the benefits of caffeine for competition? Uh, And our guest today is Dr. Chris Irwin. now, Chris Irwin is a senior lecturer um, at Griffith University on the Gold Coast up in Queensland, not the worst place to mm. to live. Um, and he works there alongside one of our previous guests, uh, Associate Professor Ben Desbro. Um, and as, as Ben mentioned, uh, when he was on the podcast, they do some really interesting research around things like caffeine and alcohol. And um, they've even looked at Um, cannabidiol, which we spoke with um, one of their former students, Ducky McCartney, about uh, a few weeks ago as well on the podcast. Um, But yeah, Chris has uh, been involved in in all that research over the last 10 years or so. and, And one of his very first research projects, actually, about a decade ago, was looking at this concept of withdrawal of caffeine. And then reintroduction just prior to competition, and whether there was a benefit to be got from doing that, as opposed to you know just drinking um, coffee or you know having caffeine in whatever form it is mm-hmm. in the lead up to competition. So um, really, no better person to answer this question than someone who's done that research himself and and has an active interest in caffeine and sort of followed all the the subsequent research in this area.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, get stuck into it. I'm quite nervous here, waiting, so um, <laughs> <laughs> let's just, just go straight for it.
1: Fingers crossed, close your eyes, Steph, right. and uh, at the end we'll we'll summarise and hopefully you won't be in tears. All right, let's do it. Chris Irwin, welcome to The Long Munch. How are things going up there on the Gold
0: Coast? Yeah, thanks, Alan and, and Steph, for having me. It's, uh, oh, we're actually quite good up here on the Gold Coast. I'm, I feel sorry for everyone down south, <laughs> to be honest. Everyone's in lockdown, and uh, in Queensland, we're, we're going about most things um, quite normally, uh, you know, other than having to wear masks. Life is reasonably good. <laughs> so yeah, really feel quite fortunate, but feel very sorry for everyone that's in lockdown at the moment, and they've been in lockdown for a long time. So appreciate yep. how challenging that, that is for most people.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a, a long winter. Um, so you guys don't get locked down. You don't get winter either, really, do you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> shorts and
0: t-shirts and a mask all year round. <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: right. Awesome. Um, well, as we said, you're a lecturer and a researcher. Um, you're at Griffith University on the Gold Coast. And we've previously chatted to your colleague, um, Ben Desbro. Um, and he talked about the fact that uh, you guys get to do all the fun stuff. You do caffeine, alcohol. Uh, and more recently, uh, catabidiol as well. Um, so you've done a lot of fun stuff, but do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved with with research in this kind of area and particularly, I guess, caffeine that we're going to be talking about today?
0: Yeah, sure. I, um, I've i been really fortunate actually. It's, um I'm really lucky to have the opportunity to work with some really smart people, far smarter than I am, um, and just excellent researchers. Um, uh, so I uh, came to Griffith uh, to do a, PhD after I'd done my dietetics degree, a master's of dietetics here, and um, I basically stayed on and, d- and did my PhD here. But uh, I'd come from a background in in teaching, actually, in PE teaching. Um, so I was quite late um, in my sort of career to research, uh, and it was through my uh, master's program I had an opportunity to do a a research project. And it happened to be in caffeine and caffeine withdrawal. Uh, and I did that with Ben. Uh, and uh, after that, I was hooked. Uh, I was hooked on research. And uh, I thought, oh, I've got to do more of this. And did my PhD with with Ben as my supervisor. And ultimately, ended up shifting from caffeine into alcohol research. And I, uh, my PhD was centered around looking at alcohol and dehydration and, and the interaction between those uh, on performance uh and then we've just uh gone on ever since to do what we what we call applied interesting research um you know we're not uh not saving the world in in any respect with the research that we do but we think it's really interesting and and has broad sort of community appeal uh and uh we just like having fun in the lab so we try and think of really interesting questions to answer um yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: We'll we'll get to one of those in, in just a second. But you mentioned that you you're hooked on research. Are
0: you hooked on coffee or caffeine yeah,
2: as well? Yeah, exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> Alan.
0: <laughs> I I literally can't get enough of the stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd say I'm somewhat addicted. Um, I mean, what is it, nine thirty? Just after nine thirty in the morning now, and I'm on my fourth cup of coffee Ooh, already. you <laughs> better
2: than me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's a yeah yeah. yeah. I, I I I literally love the stuff, and I, I really like the taste of coffee. Um, you know, I, yeah, you get the caffeine hit from it, but uh, I just find it a really tasty beverage. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: fair enough. And your team, um, and I'm not sure it might have been before you started there, um, did a study looking at the caffeine content of coffees like in different cafes all around sort of Brisbane and the Gold Coast were you one of the people who got to go around collecting all these cups of coffee from 150 different cafes?
0: Oh, no, that would have been far too dangerous. There wouldn't have been any coffees <laughs> that made it back to the university. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I, I wasn't involved in that study, but it was a really interesting study that that Ben um, led. And uh, yeah, I've, I've read that paper. It's a great paper looking at the, the variability in caffeine content from, from coffees. But we've done some other stuff since looking at the Caffeine content of Nespresso um, pods, um, and I was involved in that research. And again, you know, just something that we thought was really interesting. And given that you know a lot of people consume these products, and there was nowhere to be seen, you know, the caffeine content available on on the different varieties, mm-hmm. we thought, what a what an interesting thing to look at, because most people are being driven, you know, in terms of consumer choice for things like Nespresso pods mm-hmm. by the intensity rating. And we just found that that intensity rating had nothing to do with the caffeine content so wow. mm. uh, you know, i think that was a, a really important insight that you know again has community appeal people can then ha- you know get an indication of okay if i want the highest caffeine content from an espresso pod which one should i which one should i consume so
1: yeah i remember speaking to ben he had enormous trouble getting that published didn't you
0: he did yeah he actually had to uh he went he went down the Twitter. Uh, route um, mm. just put it out there and said we've, we've got this data does anyone want it <laughs> mm. and publish it in a paper and um, uh, yeah I think Craig Sale um, got back to him and, and said uh, yeah send it to our journal and we'll, we'll have a crack and uh, yeah. it, it was great got a bit of media interest as well and um, mm. so yeah I, th- I, th- I thought uh, that was a great study to be involved and we did a couple of other things um, using coffee pods as well looking at things like um, sensory perceptions in, in, uh, in drinkers and uh, looking at cognitive function, uh, we know that caffeine has a has an impact. So <laughs> mm. Yeah, looking at lots
1: of different lots of different things. And imagine sampling the different pods as well. Have you had one of everything in the range now?
0: I've tried to, yeah, but they keep bringing <laughs> new ones out, so I have to keep going back to the store to get more. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> um,
1: and, and I guess in terms of you know caffeine and, and sport, I guess what we're talking about today. Do you have a particular sort of sporting background yourself, or a particular interest?
0: Uh, I mean, I'm interested in, in sport in general. Um, I'd say as as a kid growing up, I just wanted to be involved in everything. Um, mostly, and it's probably not for the right reason, but I wanted you know to get out of school as much as possible. So if I was playing sport, I wasn't in class. Um, yep. So I do pretty much everything as a as a young fella. But then. Uh, As I've sort of gotten older, I I tend to stick to sports now that don't hurt as much the next day. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I've forgotten the rugby and the the rugby league, and um, I'm more into cycling these days, and um, I I play a bit of golf as well with Ben. Um, So, yeah, sports that that are a bit more suited to my age.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough.
2: (laughs) Love it. Um, So I guess before we get into the nuts and bolts of today's um, question, Firstly, we we probably need to understand just a little bit more about caffeine. Um, so, can you describe, I guess, what caffeine actually is?
0: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it can be complicated, but I guess in its simplest terms, caffeine, it's a drug. Um, you know, it's part of a sort of chemical compound um, called xanthines. Um, uh, and it just happens to be a, a legal and socially acceptable um, drug that's found in lots of uh, foods naturally so things um, people most people will be familiar with things like coffee and tea and you know energy drinks and chocolate um, so ultimately though um, it's a stimulant mm-hmm. uh, it acts on our central nervous system uh, and it it blocks uh, these uh, molecules called adenosine <laughs> without trying to get it too yeah. technical but um, uh, adenosine is essentially a neurotransmitter that relaxes uh, the brain and makes us feel a bit tired. And so caffeine is what we call an adenosine receptor antagonist. Um, it, it, so over the day, our adenosine levels sort of increase That makes us feel more tired. And caffeine has the ability to bind to the same receptor site that adenosine does. And when it does that, um, That means adenosine can't bind to those receptors, and it then blocks the effects of adenosine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that ultimately means that um, we don't feel as tired.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so what has been the way, I guess, that's been suggested that caffeine can be beneficial for athletes, and Mm. has the perspective on that changed over time?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think uh, it it has changed a little bit over time. I mean, early on, it was believed that um, the effects of caffeine were really driven by this increase in intracellular calcium um, levels. And that then subsequently was associated with changes in muscle function and and contractile force in skeletal muscles. But Mm -hmm. um, that really tended to only occur with really high physiological concentrations of caffeine. And now it's better known that that caffeine has that effect on the adenosine receptors. uh, And and that then causes this cascade of events to occur. Um, And one of those is an increase in what we call catecholamines, um, which is things like dopamine and norepinephrine. Um, And and that stimulates the brain and provides things like a a sense of arousal and and, um, alertness and increased focus. Uh, but it also influences substrate utilization as well. Um, so caffeine can increase uh, the mobilization of free fatty acids. And um, so we're getting more free fatty acids available for as, as, a, as a fuel substrate. Uh, and if we get more fat oxidation that can spare muscle glycogen, uh, which can then be used for, for, as a substrate later on in exercise efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, but more recently, I guess, there's there's been a bit of a focus in and around um, the relationship between caffeine and pain and exercise performance. Uh, and there's some evidence that sort of suggests that that caffeine can decrease pain perception. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that that in turn can reduce ratings of perceived exertion. So if you feel like you're exercising and it's not as hard, um, then you can probably exercise a little bit more in terms of your intensity level and and, and um, for the same level of exertion or perceived exertion. So ultimately, that can have an impact on exercise capacity. Uh, and probably the other thing is um, in and around um, caffeine and its bitter taste, there's a little bit of research that suggests that even that, that bitter taste of caffeine might provide some of the performance benefit. Um, And and part of that comes around um, from the fact that caffeine mouth rinses can can induce a positive effect um, on exercise that might be because of that bitterness, Mm. um, similar to to other compounds like quinone. Yep.
2: Yep. So that's kind of like what um, we hear about the wonderful carbohydrate mouth rinse. So now they're doing that with caffeine, are they?
0: They are. Yeah. Mm. So looking at caffeine and mouth rinses as well.
2: I don't know if I'd be able to swish it out. I think I'd just keep (laughs) gugging it down. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, ultimately, why, why would you want to spit something out that could could also provide you know, yeah. other benefits, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, through ingestion? So, yeah.
2: What about um, also? Is there has there also been some work done with caffeine and heat as well?
0: Yeah, there has been. I'm not across that um, that research as much, but um, there certainly has been a little bit of work around caffeine and and um, how it may have a different impact based on sort of environmental conditions. So, yeah. Uh, the the heat um, is obviously a challenging environment, um, exercising in the heat, and so whether caffeine works differently under those different environmental That's conditions. Nice. Again, I'm not across that research as much.
2: Yeah, yep. And, and I guess so, um, when you study caffeine and sports performance, um, really relevant to our listeners, runners, cyclists, and triathletes, how much benefit do you typically see and how does that compare to other sports nutrition strategies?
0: Yeah, It's a really good question. <laughs> um, I guess the, the magnitude of caffeine's sort of beneficial effect probably depends a bit on what type of exercise task is being performed. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be most efficacious for aerobic um, endurance-based activities, um, but there's positive effects that have been seen uh, with strength and power based um, activities as well as team-based sports mm-hmm. um, and, and there's been a number of really comprehensive reviews that have been conducted that summarize the effects I know Louise has done uh, you know a number of uh, reviews um, other authors like Craig Pickering is is pretty prominent in the area and Lawrence Spreet, um Tom McClellan so there's a, a bunch of really uh, comprehensive reviews that that sort of show, I guess, what the effects are. Um, and it's one of the great things about caffeine is it's been really well studied. Mm. Um, so there's lots of scientific evidence. Uh, and the evidence is pretty compelling for beneficial effects of caffeine. Um, but we typically see performance benefits in the range of about two to four um, percent in terms of endurance exercise performance. So that, you know, that's probably most relevant to runners, cyclists mm. and triathletes. Mm-hmm. Um, on, I guess on balance, when you take everything into consideration, it's probably not too dissimilar from the beneficial effects that we see with things like carbohydrate ingestion. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a, a recent review that was published by Will Hopkins and, and uh, others that looked at um, the influence of consuming carbohydrate and they reported benefits in this in this meta-analysis up to 6%. So, you know, caffeine's around that sort of 2 to 4% range. and and it can vary um, depending on the task, but yeah, it's it's pretty similar to those things. Now, obviously, there's lots of factors to to take into consideration, and probably the key thing is to not expect caffeine to be um, an isolated strategy. Um, you know, we have to underpin everything with a, a good foundation in in nutrition, and obviously, there's other factors as well, like training and genetics. You've got to be got to have the right parents, um, but but you know, it, it's it's part of a a broad suite of things that can have uh, a beneficial effect. Yep.
2: Yep. And does the timing and amount of caffeine intake matter in terms of achieving maximum um, performance benefits?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess from an amount or dose perspective, um, typically the benefits are, are observed with relatively modest doses of caffeine. Um, so around, we're talking relative uh, amounts here. So mm-hmm. per kilogram of body weight. Um, so most of the studies have demonstrated that uh, ergogenic effects are seen around the three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there is some evidence that lower doses can provide a benefit. So even around the one milligram per kilo um, and Obviously larger doses can provide benefits as well. Uh, there's been studies right up to sort of 13 milligrams per kilo, which are, are mm. huge doses. The the challenge with large doses is that they can also be, come with some potential adverse effects. Mm. Um, so it may increase things like anxiety uh, or a gastrointestinal upset. Um, and certainly caffeine can influence um, your ability to sleep as well. So there there can be potential adverse uh, side effects with that. But the research that's really uh, showing the benefits without adverse side effects sits in and around that three to six milligrams per kilo. Mm -hmm. Um, So from a dose perspective, that's what you're trying to aim for. Um, And then from a timing perspective, um, I mean, caffeine's rapidly absorbed and it can appear in our blood quite quickly from as little as about 15 minutes after ingesting it. Um, But there's lots of inter-individual variability. So some people are going to get that that, uh, peak concentration in the blood really early and others it's going to be delayed. Um, For most people, it's likely to take about 60 minutes to reach peak plasma concentrations after it, so after ingestion. Um, But it hangs around in our blood for quite a period of time. It's got a half-life of about four to six hours. Uh, So yeah, after it reaches the peak concentration, it's going to take about four to six hours before it then gets down to half of that concentration Mm -hmm. in the blood. So, you know, it it can have effects for, for a sustained period of time. I mean, ideally, you probably want to take it about 30 to 60 minutes before you start exercise. But that does depend on how long you're exercising for and Mm. when you want the sort of, you know, when you want the peak effects to occur during exercise as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess with um, our audience, um, you know, even if we just do an example of a um, ultra endurance runner, um, so they could be out there exercising from anywhere from eight um, plus hours over days. Um, But if they're doing, uh, let's say, a day event, a common question we can get is: um, How do we, uh, what's the best way of taking the caffeine? Um, should I be uh, staggering the intake? So, um, because they're out there for so long, and like you said, you know, it could peak at about 60 minutes and then dial down at four hours. Um, do we know if there's a, a better approach, or what are your sort of thoughts on, on what you know?
0: Yeah, again, it's another really good question um, because it really does depend on the duration of the exercise task. Mm. And typically you want your, your caffeine timing to to sort of, you know, be in a way that you're going to get a peak when you want the greatest impact. Mm. Um, so the peak blood concentrations at, at the right time. Mm. And it can vary for, for individuals based on, you know, a, a load of um, factors. Mm. But um, I think... There's been a little bit of research, and again, I'm not totally across this, but um, there's been a bit of work that's looked at using sort of large single boluses early in the day Mm -hmm. uh, and then what impact that has on multiple bouts of exercise across the day. So doing an AM exercise Mm -hmm. and then relying on that early uh, dose of caffeine to also um, provide a benefit in in the PM as well Mm -hmm. in the afternoon. Um, So that was a study that was done by Tom McClellan um, a, 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 a few years ago. Uh, and they gave five milligrams per kilogram of caffeine in the morning before uh, an AM bout of exercise, and then the, the uh, participants went on to perform the exercise in the afternoon again. And they found that um, the the caffeine still had an effect in the afternoon. Mm. That was that was about six hours later. Wow. Um, so you're still getting a benefit there. And when they they did another trial where they supplemented them with a small amount of extra caffeine mm. prior to the afternoon session, mm-hmm. and they found that that extra amount of caffeine didn't actually provide any additional benefit. Okay. Um, so, I think it does go. It, it is going to depend on how long that exercise is going to last, mm. um, and and you know if if you're talking an ultra event where you might be you know exercising for up to twenty four hours. Mm. Um, You know, you could require sort of doses, multiple doses across a period of time. Mm. What you want to try and do, I would say, is is keep that peak blood or uh, or plasma level, you know, at its peak and not allow it to diminish too much if you're trying to get sort of consistent benefit. Mm. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think the key, um, you know, when thinking about any form of ergogenic aid, it is to try and find what works at a personal level as well, um, you know, both from a dose and a time aspect. And I would always um, advise athletes to, to be a little bit cautious about trying something for the first time in a competition. And they should really be practicing with these things in training to find what works for them, um, because there are going to be indiv- individual differences uh, based on a, you know, a whole raft of factors, including um, you know some sort of genetic, um, components as well so um, yeah I, th- I think people should try it and make sure they find out what works for them in a personalized aspect mm-hmm.
2: Yep, yeah yeah um, and I guess also you know with the different modes of ingesting caffeine um, so um, you know we've got the the gum um, you've got the the nodos the tablets obviously it's in gels um, it's in the coffee um, Do you know, is there a better form to take it from a sports performance um, perspective?
0: Yeah, look, uh, it, it's really interesting question. And there was a, a recent review article that was published, um, Lawrence, Spreet. Lawrence Spreet was one of the uh, authors on that publication, where they looked at um, alternative forms of caffeine administration and tried to sort of tease out, you know, we, we're, we're basically, as consumers, uh, we're exposed to lots of different sources of caffeine. It's something I'm interested in as well. We're currently running a study looking at caffeine sources uh, and different sources. And so you've got things like mouth strips that dissolve you know, on the tongue. Um, and uh, there's some benefit to having things like gum, uh, caffeine gum and, and, and caffeine mouth strips because you get really early absorption. Um, so you're likely to have a far uh, more rapid absorption and um, earlier on. And so if you're looking for enhanced um, or, or getting those caffeine enhancements or benefits early. Um, something that is absorbed uh, in the oral mucosa could be really beneficial. Um, most of the studies that have been done have been done using anhydrous caffeine, which is atypical for, for pretty much every athlete. No one is really taking tablets. Mm-hmm. Um, often we're relying on things like you know, coffee or energy drinks or, or gels. Um, uh, and. I guess it comes back to that, that personalization I was talking about before and finding what works for you and, and also uh, what you perceive as being beneficial. Um, there's a, some really great work happening at the moment around caffeine perceptions and, and um, uh, the, the, the belief effect in caffeine. And so that's part of the work that we're currently doing, looking at caffeine sources and, and, and different caffeine sources when you provide the same dose um, if you're getting it in something that you're familiar with relative to something that you're unfamiliar with, do you actually get a, a, a different effect mm. based on your personal perception of that that type of caffeine that you're consuming? Most of us are familiar with things like coffee, mm. um, and we expect to you know, get a, get an effect when we drink coffee because you know, it's just it's just habitual it's what we do normally. Mm. But if you take something that you're unfamiliar with, like a caffeine capsule, when you're not getting the other sensory, aspects that are associated with what you would normally consume perhaps there's less benefit that you you get from that
2: and so there's no i think the irony yeah there's no actual um with with coffee if we drink coffee um obviously there's how it can range in the dose the caffeine dose um but is there any inhibitors or anything in there um if we drink coffee
0: it's another good question. I think there's, you know, we, we, there's a lot more work to do yeah. on coffee because there, there could be. Um It could be sort of uh, synergistic effects Mm. or antagonistic Mm. effects occurring with with other ingredients, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know we've really focused a lot of the research is focused on caffeine, Mm -hmm. but there are other ingredients in coffee and and in um, a lot of the supplements that people might consume as well. There's there's a raft of different ingredients that, and some of those could be synergistic Mm -hmm. and some of them could be antagonistic. Mm -hmm. So. I think, um, you know, that's, that's open for, um, you know, to look at interactions in a far more uh, comprehensive manner. Yep.
1: Mm. And I think, you know, also that irony that, you know, the caffeine content of coffee is so highly variable, you know, oh, particularly yeah. if you're buying your coffee out, um, you know, we talked about that research going around to the, the cafes before, and I think it was like a five-fold difference from the lowest to the highest dose of caffeine in, in what was the same, essentially the same order from a cafe. <laughs> Um, And so, you know, as you said, there's that belief effect, um, maybe really important because sometimes you actually might be getting bugger all caffeine, even though you think you are.
0: Mm. Yeah. But the fact that you're familiar with having a coffee Mm. uh, and there's, you know, again, there's some really great placebo research out there that shows that you can, you can consume decaffeinated coffee and people, if if they perceive that as being coffee and that they would normally drink um, that's got caffeine Mm. in it they still get some performance benefit out of mm. that. And so that belief effect is a is, a, is quite impactful. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Awesome.
1: Okay, um, so our, our main question uh, or topic today is, you know, do I need to stop drinking coffee to get the benefits mm-hmm. of caffeine? Now, obviously this sounds like something that might be, be a bit of a struggle for you if you were to have to do this. Very um, so. <laughs> but before we get in and answer this question, where did this idea come from that we have to stop taking caffeine to then, you know, a few days later get the benefit from caffeine, say on race day or competition day or something like that.
0: Yeah, I know. It seems preposterous, doesn't (laughs) it? Like to actually stop drinking coffee, I mean, I don't think I could ever do that. I guess it's like any other drug. You know, um, the, there's potential to develop a tolerance to anything um, if we're consuming it regularly. Um, you know, we see it with with drugs um, like alcohol. Um, you know, you can you can develop a tolerance to these things, and therefore you may need more to actually see a benefit. So it's probably stemmed from a similar line of inquiry to 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 that.
1: Mm, yeah. And I know you, were, you, you mentioned you know, earlier on that you are involved in one of these studies around sort of caffeine withdrawal and, and then reintroduction um, right back at the start of your research career. Um, given that work that you've done and then you know, obviously um, any sort of subsequent stuff, do we feel that there's a, a scientific basis or like a plausible explanation to suggest that, that this kind of withdrawal and reintroduction might be beneficial?
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess um, from a scientific um, sort of perspective, I, I think it is plausible, um, you know, that regular caffeine use could dampen the ergogenic potential of acute doses of caffeine if they're taken prior to exercise. Um, but I guess the other side of things is to try and also understand whether perhaps the benefits we're seeing with acute caffeine ingestion is is just the result of um, what we call withdrawal reversal. Mm. Um, so Uh, It comes from the fact that most research studies, um, when they standardize pretrial procedures, they often ask participants to abstain from caffeine for a period of time, normally somewhere between 12 and 48 hours. can I say that Uh, the
2: participants hate us when we do that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) They do, they do hate it. Um, And and I guess, you know, um, we don't know then whether uh, you know, with, with regular users, if they're abstaining for a period of time, that may be associated with symptoms like you know, headache, um, irritability, or a whole range of things that might actually result in a reduction in performance under placebo conditions of a study. And so the benefit that we're actually seeing with caffeine is just the reversal of the withdrawal mm-hmm. rather than a true benefit of the caffeine mm-hmm. itself. And so I think part of the inquiry is, is really trying to understand that and the mechanism for how caffeine is working. Definitely.
1: Um, and is this a strategy that you hear of athletes deliberately doing? Like, do you, do you think a lot of athletes out there are deliberately abstaining from caffeine or coffee in the lead up to competition?
0: I don't think so. It's not something that I, I've been, um, I've seen um, from athletes. I don't think many athletes would actually even consider it. I mean, I think about myself and, you know, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is have coffee. I don't think I could start the day without mm-hmm. coffee. Um, and I, th- so I think for, for many athletes, you know, they're, they're likely to be like every other human being. They're habitual in nature when it comes to food and fluid intake. Um, that includes, you know, drinking coffee or tea, um, and that can be really difficult to abstain from. Um, and, and often that's because, you know, when we try and abstain, we get those adverse side effects as well, where we, we start to, you know, feel, get headaches and feel tired, and, and so revert back to our normal habitual behaviours. So I haven't heard um, of athletes undergoing that, but I have been asked questions from people about whether they should or not. Um, so, and I normally say, yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> but that, that's that me personally.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, you've done that study. Um, have there been many others?
0: Um, there's, there's been a handful. Um, like there's so much research on caffeine. It's, it's, it's funny, there's so much research on caffeine um, and, um, really the number of studies that have purposefully gone out and explored the effects of withdrawal and, and then reintroduction of caffeine is, is quite small. Um, I, I think I could, I could count them on one hand, to be honest. Mm. Um, so whilst I think it's a really important area to understand, yeah, we're still still away from truly understanding the effects of withdrawal. Yeah, and the the small number of studies
1: that have been done, are the findings fairly consistent across those studies or is it a a real mixed bag?
0: It's actually, uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, So one of the the first study that I'm aware of was one done by Terry Graham, uh, who's an absolute guru in the area. and uh, they, they did a study where they looked at caffeine withdrawal in recreational athletes um, across um, a, a two or four day withdrawal period. Uh, now, they, they, the athletes that they had, or well, the recreational athletes they had, were high habitual consumers of caffeine. They were consuming about 700 milligrams per day. That's a mm. lot, of, lot of caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they withdrew them from caffeine for two or four days, they then gave them a six milligram dose of caffeine before they put them. To the task, um, and they did a, a a time to exhaustion cycling task, and they basically found that caffeine, irrespective of the withdrawal period, um, had a, had an impact. So it didn't matter whether they were withdrawn from caffeine or not, across two days or four days, caffeine had a beneficial effect. Um, we followed that study up in in the the research that I did. That was my first exposure to research, uh, and we sort of. Took that study idea, but we reduced the dose of caffeine, um, so we halved the dose to to be something that we we thought was a little bit more um, achievable on a a daily basis, um, more consistent with um, habitual intake. Uh, So we gave three milligrams per kilo body weight of caffeine, uh, and we also used a four-day withdrawal period, uh, but we had a slightly larger sample and we used trained cyclists rather than recreational cyclists. Uh, And we also used um, the athletes that we had were habitual caffeine consumers, but it was at a lower level. So they weren't consuming anywhere near the habitual doses that that were being consumed in in, um, the previous study. And uh, we put them on a time trial performance task rather than a time to exhaustion task. But ultimately we saw exactly the same effect that when they were withdrawn from caffeine for four days or whether they weren't, when they got the acute dose of caffeine prior to doing the time trial task, they performed better with caffeine than with placebo. And so across those two studies, it appeared that withdrawal was pointless. Um, It didn't make a difference. Um, You might as well just consume your caffeine on a daily basis and then have it, as long as you're having a dose of caffeine prior to doing the performance task, um, that was going to be beneficial. And then subsequently, a couple of studies came out um, that looked at it a little bit differently uh, and they, uh, they went for longer withdrawal periods. So mm. the, the two previous studies had only been done with really short uh, withdrawal periods of you know up to four days. Uh, and so there's been a couple of studies that have done long withdrawal periods, up to four weeks, um, which I would, yeah. oh, that would be crazy. I, I don't think I'd survive. <laughs> <laughs> torture. <laughs> it would be torture. Um, but so there was a group from Loughborough um, that had Lewis James, um, uh, who I'm sure you're all familiar with, and Stephen Mears and, and Phil Watson in it. Uh, so they got participants to to abstain from caffeine um, for, for 28 days oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they were low caffeine consumers like really low so less than 100 milligrams per day uh, and they got them to they, they did a between subjects time with uh, design where they split the the group that they had into into two and, and half of the group received uh, caffeine across that 28 day period and the other half received placebo. Uh, and it was using a modest dose of caffeine again, around three milligrams per kilo. Now, I think they uptitrated it from one point five milligrams um, per kilo per day um, to, to three across a, that period of time. But nonetheless, it was still quite modest. And they did two cycling performance tasks um, prior to that twenty-eight day supplementation period: one after having placebo, and one after having uh, three milligrams per kilo of caffeine. And then they did the supplementation period, and then they did the cycling task again after three milligrams per kilo of caffeine on day 29. Uh, And what they found was um, that the amount of work that was produced in the time trial task that they did um, in the pre-28 day supplementation period was greater with caffeine than with placebo, but that the benefit of caffeine was lost after 28 days of caffeine supplementation. Um, So that sort of indicated that chronic ingestion of caffeine across that 28 days in low consumers of caffeine um, uh, resulted in a tolerance, uh, And then you lost those effects um, of caffeine at that day 29. And then there was a more recent study that was done by uh, Yuan del Coso's group. Uh, and they looked at uh, the time course of tolerance to caffeine um, on, on uh, performance benefits um, as well. Uh, they had participants consume three milligrams per kilo of caffeine for, for 20 consecutive days in one arm of the study. And then they, they washed out and, and did a placebo um, uh, for, the, for the next 20 days or, or, or vice versa. Um, and I can't remember exactly what the protocol was, but I know they did multiple cycling tasks throughout that 20 days. Uh, And ultimately, they were looking at whether their performance changed across the 20 days or not. And what they found was that um, caffeine increased uh, peak cycling power uh, in an incremental test to exhaustion uh, by about 4% for the first 15 days. But then after that, it declined um, and the effect was was almost lost. Um, And the magnitude of the effect was was greatest on the first day and sort of you know, declined a- across that whole period of time. But by about 15 days, the-, the tolerance had built up where you lost it. So to me, the evidence is sort of, um, it really depends on how long you withdraw for as to uh, whether you're likely to see an impact of, of um, tolerance or not.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like sort of putting those kind of two different types of study designs, if you'd like, together. It sounds like if you're a habitual caffeine user, uh, and then you stop for you know a few days before an event, any benefit that you're likely to see is simply reversing the withdrawal effect because you felt crap for the last four days leading into competition. Whereas the reverse would be maybe someone who doesn't normally have caffeine on a day-to-day basis. If they suddenly added in on competition day, they're likely to see a beneficial effect. But for the habitual caffeine user to get that same benefit. They're going to have to like stop caffeine for a month maybe to, to get that kind of effect. So it's a massive withdrawal period rather than just a few days.
0: That's an excellent summary, Alan. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. He's good at there his go. summary. <laughs> I was listening.
1: Okay. Um, all right. So that's probably good news for some people and, and not good news for others. I know Steph was hanging on the, the result of today's discussion. Yeah, I
2: wasn't going <laughs> to talk to you if you were going to tell me that I needed to withdraw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wouldn't be that cruel. I would say don't yeah. withdraw, but that's, that's well, me. <laughs> well,
1: well, the other way to look at it is he's saying you have to withdraw for a month, still.
2: I didn't mm. hear that. It's It's gone out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Um, okay. And I mean, I guess it probably, it sounds like there's not enough research at the moment to really get into the nuances of this and say, okay, well, do these effects depend on like how many coffees a day people have like if you only have one coffee a day is the withdrawal period going to be less than say someone who has like yourself maybe four coffees a day um it's probably fair to say that we just don't have enough research to be able to answer those sorts of questions yet
0: yeah, I think um, you know there's there's certainly opportunity to start to explore some of that stuff a lot more. Um, one of the challenges, you know, as I said, um, we've got lots of research, but um, a lot of the methodologies that are used are quite heterogeneous. Um, so there's lots of different exercise tasks being used, the quality of the athletes, the doses of caffeine, all of these things are variants that. May explain some of the sort of um, you know differences that we're seeing, and there's also some evidence as well around. Uh, I spoke briefly before around you know genetics that may play a part, um, and and I'm by no means over this research area on um, genotyping, but uh, I know you know people like Nancy Guest are doing some of this work looking at um, individual responses and and perhaps there's some sort of genetic influence where we have people that are fast metabolizers and those that are slow metabolizers of caffeine. And so if you're unfortunate to have the, the genotype that's a slow metabolizer, it may take quite a period of time after ingesting caffeine to actually see you know, the, the same benefit um, that someone gets early on if they're a fast metabolizer. And maybe some of the research findings that we're seeing that are conflicting really, because we don't really, sometimes don't know what those athletes are in terms of their genotypes, whether that's actually, um, you know, part of the reason why we're seeing sort of discrepancies in, in results. So I think there's a lot more work in that space, um, looking at, you know, personalised um, uh, approaches. Mm, yep. And I guess that, as you said, would inf-
1: impact on the timing and possibly the dose as well. Yeah, um, and then possibly that that withdrawal stuff. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, uh, and then some people that seem to get no benefit or even do worse with caffeine.
0: That's it. I mean, um, that you always see people that respond or don't respond, and whether that is just that they're slow responders and the, and the timing of tasks um, relative to when they consumed it, um, the caffeine, you know, just didn't meet them. Per, you know, in a, from a personal perspective, um, that's the stuff that I think needs to get teased out a lot more. Mm, and almost, you know, do that pre-testing
1: first of looking at that blood appearance of caffeine and then personalising the timing of the intake to each person in the study rather than giving it all at exactly the same
0: time. Oh, we can come up with a study idea right now and um, <laughs> I'm sure between us yeah, we, we'll, we'll have this conducted in yep. the next um, night, And so. I think
1: Steph will be a, a very <laughs> willing participant in this one. Oh, only
2: if I'm in that, yeah, caffeine, um, give it to me in the max.
1: <laughs> yeah. Max and propongue. Yep. <laughs>
0: No withdrawal period <laughs> <Nope. please>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so putting everything together, it sounds like from what we're saying, you know, the recommendation around, um, you know, do I need to stop having coffee to get the benefit is um, probably not because the time that you'd have to withdraw for would be very long um, and possibly... You'd be a grumpy miserable person um, that wouldn't train very well potentially uh and so that the benefits that you gain maybe from withdrawing from caffeine over that period of time are going to be washed out by the the reduction in training and psychological factors and all that kind of stuff in the lead up and and from you know i think you said it you know very early on that you probably wouldn't recommend people deliberately sort of abstain from caffeine in days leading into competition
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a good um, insight that you've just provided there, Alan. I think, you know, we have to look at this from a practical perspective. I mean, um, you know, if an athlete's gonna withdraw for a period of time, it, it may influence their training and, and they're going to lose, um, you know, training adaptations or benefits um, because they're not going to be able to train optimally. Mm. Uh, and so you have to weigh it up and, and people have to look at this from a from a personal and practical perspective rather than, you know, a, a one size fits all um, approach of, of withdrawal. Um, you know, for, for some people that may be beneficial to go off caffeine, particularly if, they're, if the caffeine is having an influence over things like their sleep quality, um, that May have an effect on their training, uh, but for others, um, you're right, it may actually end up that they become a really grumpy person and don't train very well, and then they get you know detrimental effects associated with that that are, are beyond what you would see with a small change that occurs um, from a benefit with, with caffeine intake. Yeah, yeah,
1: but if you're someone who doesn't take caffeine regularly uh, and you're coming into competition, then you know, giddy up, Coffee giddy up, gym. yeah, gels. <laughs> no-dose, whatever it is, it's going to gonna get you going. Yeah. Um, finally, just to finish up with, what are the, apart from the ones that we've already discussed, what are the other sort of unanswered questions in this area? What what do you think uh, needs to be sort of pursued from a, a research point of view and is there something that you guys are sort of trying to answer at the moment?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think there's lots of opportunity, um, even though there's lots of research in caffeine, there's still there's still more opportunity. Uh, one thing that I think uh, we need to really focus on, you know, a lot of the studies that have been conducted to date are, are laboratory-based studies. They're, we, we're using a, a very non-ecological approach. You know, We, we provide caffeine in an anhydrous capsule form. Uh, we standardize everything. Uh, and so I think there's a, a, a real opportunity to look at a more ecological sort of approach to conducting some of this research trying to think about what is it that athletes are doing, um, you know, using multiple sources of of caffeine or various sources of caffeine that they may perceive as being beneficial versus not as beneficial, Um, starting to explore these things because we've got so many different sources of caffeine available to us in the market. Um, So it'd be really great to look at the influence of, of various caffeine sources in an ecologically valid way. I think there's heaps of opportunity there. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, I think that's enough caffeine
1: talk. I'm going to hand over to Steph now for our bonus round to finish up.
2: Awesome. So this is the fun part where we get to know a bit more about you. Um, we already know a few a few things about about the coffee situation. So that's good. You're um, you've made a, a good impression on us already. <laughs> 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 so. If you could do anything besides what you're doing now, and it sounds like you really love what you're doing, um, what would it be?
0: You know, these questions are harder than the <laughs> caffeine questions. Um, <laughs> what would it be? You know, what I, um, I I've really been interested from a from a uh, from a child age uh, in space, mm. um, and I, I would be an astronaut. I'd love to travel into space, and and you know. I've been fascinated by space and, and, and the universe. So um, it probably comes from not understanding you know, the universe and, and, and having that scientific inquiring mind. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'd definitely be an astronaut. I'd love to visit Mars. You're to it come on. up
1: with an experiment around caffeine and, and um, yeah. space travel yeah. that only can be answered by actually going there to, <laughs> to collect the data. I'm sure. And then um, get yourself on a
0: flight. I'm sure, you know, Jeff Bezos um, wouldn't mind, you know, sparing up a seat um, exactly. <laughs> on his next space flight. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a whole physiological team at NASA that do all of that stuff, you know, yeah. including what they, what the astronauts eat and drink. So, you know, get on board with that with some caffeine mm-hmm. and away you go.
0: I'm all for it, Alan. I, if you can just reach out to, you know, one of the yeah. new sort of, I don't know, the Virgin Virgin flight or whatever is going into space next. <laughs> yeah, will be awesome. tee it up. Yeah. We'll do. <laughs>
2: Um, one thing on your bucket
0: list you are yet to do? Ooh, bucket list. Um, I don't normally keep um, a bucket list, but one thing I've always... I love travel, and one thing I'd really love to do is visit Antarctica. Mm. Um, uh, and in any way or form, I'll i am happily... I'll hike it, I'll do whatever I, I, I can to get to Antarctica, but uh, I think it'd be just fascinating to see that environment. I mean, you're talking the extremes of um, environmental temperatures and... I just think it'd be a, a beautiful mm. place. so uh, I'd love to yep. go
1: there. That was the answer from our very last podcast, wasn't it, Steph? Was it David Was it David Bryan? Someone we've, we've interviewed in the last two or three weeks said exactly the same, the same thing. thing. Oh, really? Oh,
2: I cool. thought we had someone yeah. talk about space too before. Um, but okay. oh, yeah. I need to meet these people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Actually, it might even be next week's guest because we've already interviewed yes. him. I reckon it was him that said he wanted to go to Antarctica.
2: Alistair? oh yeah, yeah it could be yeah. yes it could be um
1: yeah it wasn't to meet the penguins it was just to yeah see the environment and
2: that's the right and that's stuff. right yeah. yep cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we need to organize like a, a, a you know a work we trip should, or something we should <laughs> that's right
2: uh, what do you reckon alan could we sponsor this trip the long munch
0: <laughs> we might
1: do a bit of crowd
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> might take a while I'm not sure they'll let us onto Antarctica <laughs> with uh, COVID as yes. it is at the moment. Mm. be a fair, fair old quarantine. Fair a a future that, thing. I'd we'll imagine. look into but, it. Um, <laughs> but maybe we can take Alistair and and we could study, you know, the effect of caffeine on cycling performance in environment. that in- environment. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: It'd be a tough. It'd be a tough place to do some cycling, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
2: so um, the Olympics um, wrapped up recently. Um, what was your favourite moment?
0: Oh, I love the Olympics. Um, I, I'm still glad yes. the Paralympics is on at the moment. I, you know, so good when you've got that stuff on TV um, to be able to watch the athletes. They're, they're all impressive. Mm. Um, in terms of favourite moment, I'd, I'd have to say um, I'm always a sucker for the marathon. Mm. Um, and um, to watch uh, Kip Choge win that, uh, he's, mm. I think, one of the greatest athletes on mm. the planet. Um, and I really liked... The camaraderie between the second and third places in that marathon, as well. I don't know whether you saw it yourselves, but I just thought that was fantastic. Um, the second yes. and third place coming across the line, um, you know, encouraging, <laughs> encouraging each other. each other. I felt did felt felt sorry for um, uh, fourth place, um, mm-hmm. the, the other Kenyan who who mm-hmm. missed out. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, marathon for me is an absolute uh, winner every yeah. time.
2: Yeah. And is there anyone you'd love to meet but have never had the chance?
0: Oh, um, I'd like to meet someone like Barack Obama. Yep. Um, I reckon it'd be just really interesting to just sit down and chew the fat with him for a little while and <laughs> find out what he knows. Do aliens really exist? Do they have you know, <laughs> a secret sort of place there in, uh, in the yep. US?
2: <laughs> and do you live by any piece of advice or motto?
0: Um, it's probably you know cliche, but um, I've always believed that that life is about learning. Um, I try and appro- approach everything that you know, that I do with an inquiring sort of mind, um, and, and, and I always say to you know my students as well, don't be afraid to make mistakes. We, we learn we learn a lot from making mistakes. Um, so it's, it's pretty cliche, but yeah, I would say you know just have have a go at everything um, and learn from every experience. Um, You never know what you're going to learn and move forward with. Yeah, uh, Yeah. no, I like that
2: one. Yeah, that's great, awesome. You're, um, yeah, been a wealth of information, and I I think (laughs) um, our listeners will like what they hear because you haven't given any hard answer about, you know, like you need to withdraw. So this is good. This is good.
0: That's what we do as scientists, Steph. It's you know, it's being conservative, sitting on the fence <laughs> all the do, time. We do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and then telling people what they want to hear. Yes, telling. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Always finding like a way, yeah, a way that it can work. <laughs> yep.
0: You got to work work it in for everybody. Yep. Yeah. Look, I, you know, hopefully people um, can, can can get something from it and that works for them. Yeah. But uh, As I said, yeah, you know, I think that the best approach is to find out what works for you as an individual. I think,
2: yeah, definitely, and that's. um you know, what we have been tending to hear in lots of the podcasts that we do and we know from research is there can be such individual variation. But, yeah, getting some information to help guide us at least and then kind of, yeah, um, tuning in to see how we respond um, and perform with that. Yeah. Mm, awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks
1: so much for your time, Chris.
0: Oh, no, thank you guys for inviting me on. It's been great to chat. Mm,
2: awesome. Awesome, thank you so much, Chris. Um, I love your guys' work uh, down there and I'm I'm still talking to you, um, but I'll let Alan wrap up what our take home messages are from this one.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so I guess the, the first, you know, to answer the question, do I need to withdraw from caffeine to get the benefits, uh, or, yeah, withdraw from caffeine to get the benefits of caffeine on competition day? Uh, Probably from a real world practical perspective, the answer to that is no. Um, Technically the answer is possibly yes, but the withdrawal period would have to be so long that there's a risk that um, you wouldn't be a very nice person or your training would be compromised um, because of it. Um, And so therefore, uh, you know, leading into a major competition, they're probably not things that you want to be grumpy or not training well. Um, And so from that perspective, I think uh, it's best probably not to, to withdraw from caffeine. I guess the flip side to that is, if you're not a habitual caffeine user, you don't have coffee or um, you know caffeinated products apart from maybe a bit of chocolate or tea, which is pretty low in caffeine uh, anyway. Um, then you might get a, actually a better benefit from having you know that sort of higher three milligrams per kilo of body weight dose of caffeine on competition day than a habitual user. Um, but that's probably not a good reason for a habitual user to withdraw um, unless they're happy to go. No caffeine day to day over a longer period of time, uh, and become essentially a non-habitual user of caffeine. Um, so that's probably the the main things. I mean, we touched on a few other things in there in terms of um, you know the optimal dose, probably between three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight. So uh, take your body weight, multiply it by three or six or somewhere in between that, uh, and that's going to be the the number in milligrams, um, which is you know for a 60 kilo person, you know, upwards of you know over 180 milligrams of caffeine. So it's a, a, not a massive dose, but it's not uh, insignificant either. You know, you're probably gonna need at least a couple of coffees to get there or a, a big energy drink or maybe even a bit more than that Um, to get up to that kind of dose. And if you have 70 or 80 kilos in body weight, uh, it's even a bigger dose again. So uh, it's a fair bit of caffeine from that perspective, Um, but certainly that amount seems to be beneficial from performance and uh, isn't enough to really have those sort of adverse side effects for the majority of people. Um, But as Chris alluded to, there's still a lot we don't know about caffeine. There's sort of very individual responses uh, in terms of how long it takes for that caffeine to get into the blood, have an effect, and then leave again. Um, and whether some people actually do worse with caffeine as well. And that's an area that still needs to be unpacked a little bit more. Uh, and so like all things in nutrition, as we've discussed previously, you need to kind of experiment uh, well away from competition, find out what's gonna work for you, what doesn't, um, and then come up with a strategy from there that's that's individualized using those sort of numbers as a, a starting point, And that may be 60 minutes prior as the starting point and then adjusting from there based on, on your own personal experience and feedback
2: yeah yeah and then in the ultra endurance application um potentially yeah where it was saying you know um you kind of maybe take a dose and then when that peaks then wait for that to maybe dial down to half-life or so and and peak it again so just finding what points that you find you get the best performance um in those events but more research to be to be done in that Um but yeah that's really relevant to our ultra endurance um listeners.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Cool. So uh leading on um from from this one, we are up to episode 20b, and that will be with Alastair Donohoe. Um and Alastair um is an exceptional um cyclist. Um and he um, competes um, both in um, the able-bodied um, cycling, um, and he's also uh, competing in the para-cycling. Um, so he's already had, I think, a couple races already now. Al, um, and we've yep. got one more to go. Um,
1: yeah, the road race.
2: Yeah. So we've gotten. He's gotten a silver. He got a silver in the track. Um And. Yep. Um,
1: Time trials this afternoon on the day of recording, but by the time everyone yes. listens to this, it will have been run and won. So yes. congratulations, Al, for a great Ooh. time trial. <laughs> we don't know what the result <laughs> will be yet, but I'm sure it was good. Yes. Um, and then, the, yeah, the road race, I think, is coming up in the next day or so.
2: Excellent, yeah. So we'll be um, talking now about how he uses caffeine in terms of his training and performance. And, and it's a great one to listen to. It's really, really practical. Um, so yeah stay tuned for that one otherwise we um, will let you all go but please um, any shout outs we're on the social media on instagram facebook and twitter at the long munch and you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms until then over and out and um, we'll speak to you we'll chat to you guys all soon
1: yep see you next week
2: everyone